Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julie-Anne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont Mystery Series, cupcake enthusiast and part-time children's literacy wrangler. Pamela Eucherman is a writer, ballet shoe hoarder and homeschooling mum who sometimes finds time for sleep. Both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens for our 26th episode. And today's is Dragon Pact. Indeed it is. Yes. How we love dragons. (laughs) My um, yes. my son and I have a pile of books to read together beside the couch and we just noticed recently that nearly every one of them is either about dragons or has dragon in the title. Fantastic. <laughs> mm. But my book of today doesn't actually have a dragon in it like last week's book, but it does have a fantasy creature that's pretty close to a dragon so Mm. and you've been you've been a bit busy with your reading julie yes i may have done a double Ah. we'll see (laughs) (laughs) so tell us pamela what is the title of today's book yeah today i'm reviewing grimsden by deborah abela published uh by random house in 2010 so wow it's quite a while ago now oh Oh, yes, it's like nine years ago. Amazing, because the third book's just come out. So, Yeah, exactly. Well, would you share the jacket blurb with us? Yeah. Grimston is in ruins. Three years ago, a massive wave broke its barriers and the sea flooded this grand city. Most were saved, saved, others were lost, and some were left behind. Isabella Charm and her best friend Griffin live with three other children in the top of an opulent mansion. They've survived with the help of Griffin's brilliant inventions, Isabella's survival skills, and their vow to look after each other. But what will happen when a thrill-seeking newcomer arrives in his flying machine, when bounty hunters attempt to capture them, when Byron P. Snedden, the self-appointed protector of the flooded harbour, demands obedience? What if the danger is even greater, something they can't see coming, something below the floodwaters? Oh, wow. Mm. Uh, I I want this one. <laughs> Your alley, Julie. I'm telling you right now. Totally. <laughs> uh, and what genre would you class this as? Oh, at first glance, it you would say dystopian, but it's so much more than that. It's also part adventure and part fantasy. It's yeah, really genre defying. Oh, well done, Deborah. Mm. And what is the estimated word count? Uh, I think it's around the ideal middle grade mark. I think it's a little over 40,000 words, yeah. Brilliant. Yes, Deborah does. I, I think I heard an interview where she said all of her books end up at 36,000 words. Like right. she just magically comes, it might have been 38 even, she magically arrives at that number every book she writes. So we'll have to check with her. I will. <laughs> I haven't interviewed yet, but I will. <laughs> uh, and what drew you to this book? Uh yeah, I think you recommended this to me quite a while back as a yes. comparison, even though you hadn't read it. <laughs> and it's, yes. Yeah, it's been on my radar ever since. And then I saw that Deborah was promoting the third book in the series, Final Storm. 
And I decided it was time to read it. And then stars aligned and Deb emailed me to see if we were interested. And I said, yes, please. Fantastic. Yes. So tell us about it. Yeah. Grimsden is a city destroyed by a huge flood caused by climate change. A river of water now flows down what were once bustling city streets. Isabella, Griffin, Bee, Raffi and Fly live in what was once an opulent palace. They're resourceful and have managed to use the waves of the river to generate electricity for hot water and lighting, and they grow their own food. Then Xavier finds them, bringing with him his two inventions, the aerotrope and the velocraft. Suddenly they have access to parts of the city they wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Until now, the only adults around have been Byron P. Snedden and his cronies, hiding out on one of the ships and blackmailing the children for, for precious items that they salvage. But with Xavier's help, they meet Jeremiah. He had been a scientist before the flood and tried to convince the government to build much larger flood barriers. Isabella wants to find out what happened. Her father had worked on the flood barrier project and died in the flood, and the plot begins to thicken. With tales of a sea monster suddenly seeming not so remote, life beyond the flood comes sharper into focus. Oh, overall enjoyment. Oh, there was so much to this book. It's a great lesson in weaving strong characters, a riveting plot, heart, soul, and a touch of the unreal. There was a touch of sadness around the loss of the children's parents and the whole climate change thing, which just gives me the shivers every time. But I think it was done really sensitively for young readers and the story is mostly in the survival and in the adventure of these spunky young characters. And they are a spunky mix of boys and girls with different skills and personalities and knowledge. Now, I really enjoyed this book. And, yeah, I really look forward to reading the other two. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. So who will love this book? What age would you recommend it for? Uh, I think this is perfect for upper primary around, yeah, 9 to 12 years, yeah. And do you think reluctant readers would enjoy this or more confident readers? Yeah, I think this is one of those cases of it's a great it's great as a read aloud for um, reluctant readers and, and more suit confident readers to read. Uh, you know, I think um, in this, it, you know, it's not complicated language, but, it, you know, you do have this, um, this dystopian feel to it. It's not, you know, like I said, it's done sensitively, but there's this, you know, the flood and they've lost their parents and so... Um, I think more watch out for sensitive readers rather than reluctant readers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely upper primary as well. Wow. Sounds yeah. incredible. With, um, with Deborah um, later on about this book and her third book. Yes. We cannot wait for that. Yeah. So, Julie, you have two books for us today. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Over-achieving. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> well, today I'm cracking out a double review. Da, da, da. The first book being The Boy Who Grew Dragons by Andy Shepard, illustrated by Sarah O'Gilvy, published by Piccadilly in 2018 and available in Australia by Alan and Unwin. Ah, so, dragons. <laughs> yes. What's the jacket verb on this one? We grow dragons. And I can tell you this, they're a lot more trouble than cucumbers. Poo in your dad's porridge? Check. Chase your cat? Check. Set light to your toothbrush? Check. But I can tell you something else. Their bright diamond eyes twinkle up at you. 
Their warm breath tickles your ear, and you'd better keep them a secret, because who wouldn't want their own dragon? Sounds like another perfect. Julia, uh, you, you seem to come across these amazing books all the time, and often they have dragons in them. <laughs> I know. I know. We've got this pile of books about dragons, but every one of them is different. You know, dragons aren't real, but we've got these amazing, they're just, they're, so, they're done so well, and every yeah. one of them and a different aspect and, you know, um, different reading level, different world. It's, it's amazing. Well, this one just felt so different from like the classic dragon trope so right yeah sounds like it too um so now we discussed last episode fantasy versus magic realism so where does this one lie Um, magical realism i guess because it's definitely like you know kids having a fun sort of adventure but with dragons but you know in their normal sort of setting school setting so yeah Magical realism. Here we go. Magical realism. <laughs> Yet again. <laughs> and we've been pretty spot on with these 40,000 word novels lately as well. So is this another 40? Yes. I'd say this is about 35, actually, a little bit shorter. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, I think I can guess what drew you to this one. So <laughs> Of course, the cover. Um, but. I think, I don't know whether I've written in the next review, I think um, The Bird and the Bookworm, a Instagram account, the lovely Annalise, Mm. follows us. She recommended this and um, I sort of went, I've seen that cover so many times, it might just be time to get it. And so I, the first time I haven't just gone and bought a book, and then realised I could probably get this from one of the Australian publishers. So I did look up Alan and Unwin and there it was. And I'm like, oh, yes. No, I'm telling a lie. I ordered the book and yet again I have another – I've got two copies. So there will be another giveaway. Oh, <laughs> totally I'm forgot. Um, so, day. yeah, I have the first book and then I ordered the third book from Alan and Unwin as well. So we'll be giving away the first book very soon. So it's a trilogy, is it? <laughs> Yeah, so I haven't read the middle one, but um, yeah. Okay, great. So can you tell us more about this one? Yeah. So Thomas is helping his granddad clear out the garden to grow raspberries to make their own jam tarts. Because, I mean, who wouldn't want to have fresh jam tarts? When they find an odd tree with a dragon fruit that sort of just pops off into Thomas's hand, he could never imagine he'd just picked an actual dragon, not just a fruit. What ensues is a hilarious tale of combustible poo and Thomas doing everything to keep his dragon a secret while learning, trying to learn the secrets of the dragon fruit tree. One thing is certain, Thomas will do anything to make sure his school nemesis, Liam, never gets his hands on a dragon fruit. And come to think of it, perhaps he should add his baby sister to that list too. <laughs> Sounds really good. Yes. And how did you enjoy this one? I think this is this is just one of those up your alley ones, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Oh, it was it was such a wonderful premise, and as you can imagine, a a wild ride of slapstick kid comedy, where everything that can possibly go wrong goes wrong. Um, I enjoyed this immensely, and I'm happy to report that my next review is actually book three. So stick around for the ride, folks. Hmm. And um. 
What you didn't mention if you read this, the Giselle or not? Is this enough? Is this a middle grade? Okay, yeah, um, I think I started reading it to her, and then she um, she gets distracted, but I couldn't wait for her, <laughs> so I kept reading. But um, we will finish it. Have no fear. <laughs> But yeah, you can't you can't mess with a, a mother who is intent on reading. So yeah, so I think definitely um, for ages eight to twelve. Oh, good. And is it um, a good one for reluctant readers? Oh, yeah, I think reluctant readers would enjoy this, but maybe more as a read aloud. Um, I think confident readers would also find this a hoot, but I think they'd be um, more capable of this as a read alone. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so onwards to the yes. second book, the well, your second book, but the third book in the series. Yeah. What's this one called? So this one is called The Bloy Who Flew with Dragons by Andy Shepherd, illustrated by Sarah Ogilvy. Again, published um, by Piccadilly in April two thousand and nineteen and distributed by Alan and Unwin in Australia. Mm. Um what's the second book called, by the way? Do you know? Oh, The Boy Who Lived With Dragons, I think. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. There you go. Um, and can you share the jacket blurb of this one with us? Yes. We grow dragons, dragons that flicker, that frost, and some that fill the sky with fire. We sit cross-legged round our dragon fruit tree, waiting for our dragons to hatch. But there's something I need to tell you, so keep listening, because you haven't heard the whole story yet. And once you have, you might not be quite so quick to rush out and grow yourself a dragon. <laughs> you know, the, the, the way that that starts, We Grow Dragons, it really reminds me of the How to Train Your Dragon series. Yeah, I haven't read that, so I've only ever heard about it from you. So, yeah. I'm sure the story is very different and the setting is very different. I mean, you know, How to Train Your Dragon is, you know, sort of um, – set in Viking times and, you know, but it's just that, um, I don't know, the voice. The voice sounds a little to me. Yeah. Like it's about that. Mm. It's a series, by the way, and it's nothing. If, you, if you've ever seen the um, How to Train Your Dragon movie. Read yeah, the, so I have, yep. Uh, the books are very, very different. It's They've departed quite wildly in the movie. The, I love the movie, but I also love the book. I mean, they are just different. They're very different. So anyway, back to this dragon book. Yes. <laughs> I take this magical realism again. Oh, yes, of course it is. Yep, my default. Yeah, a similar length to the last one, to the first I one. think it was about the same, maybe 35,000. Um, okay. And um, just going through our usual questions here, but I can yes. imagine the same thing to you to this book. Yeah, yeah of course I it, I had to read the third one because um, it was just about to come out. So I thought, yep, snaffle that up. Yeah, okay. And can you tell us about this one in particular? Yep. Tom and his granddad unwittingly grow dragons from a dragon fruit tree. I know, I know, you were probably thinking, how fantastic. Let's get one from eBay this instant. But there are some drawbacks to growing dragons. Most of all, realising that you can never really own a dragon and one day you will have to let it go. It's a big realisation for Tom and his crew of superhero friends who have tended and cared for their dragon flock for some time now. The deal with Tom's granddad, however, was that he wouldn't rat them out, but they would have to do the right thing one day. 
Tom doesn't want to disobey or disappoint his granddad, but if he and his friends could just keep that day at bay for as long as possible, they'll do anything in their power to make it so, or so they thought. The cracks in the crew's resolve are forming, and Tom will have to face reality. One day is fast approaching. Okay, it sounds like a real wrap-up for the the Yeah. Oh, so well done. Yep. (laughs) And, um, yeah, how did you find this compared to the first one? Yeah, I, I actually loved this one. Um, I liked, I loved the first one, but this one was really just brilliant. I can actually say, I can't say it's the best of three because I haven't read the middle one, but the heartbeat of the story and the uh, overall arching theme of we should, you know, should we really be keeping another living creature in our care without its permission? It just comes across so beautifully in this final tale. Now, I loved the antics, but most of all, I loved the unfolding mystery, which, of course, was do the dragons have a home to return to? And what will be the response of the superhero crew when they realise exactly what they should do about it? Sounds great. I I think this is another one that we really need to get. (laughs) Yes, you should enter the giveaway. Yeah, maybe maybe I could get my, you know, put in, make an Instagram account for my son and get him to. (laughs) Yes, nothing dodgy about that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, does it does it sort of does he grow up? Is it it more for older kids as it goes through? Was it a similar? No, no, it's pretty much like just a couple of months later kind of thing. Um, Yeah, so definitely for eight to twelve, and um. I'm not sure I mentioned in the previous, but Sarah Ogilvie does beautiful illustrations um, all throughout. You, yeah, n- your youngest would love this mm. with the illustrations, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's try and get my hands on it. Great. Mm. And I think, have we said for confident or? No, we haven't. Yeah, I think definitely a great read aloud again um, and more suited to confident readers. Because um, it is a little bit complex in the themes, I guess, by the third book. But, yeah, I think the kids will have grown into that. So wonderful. Okay. And for a total treat, Pamela will be interviewing Deborah Abela coming up next. So stay tuned, folks. Yeah, I can't wait. So today I'm chatting with Deborah Abela, whose new book, Final Storm, has just been released. Final Storm is the final book in the Grimsden series, as I mentioned in my review. Deborah also wrote The Stupendously Spectacular Spelling Bee, which I reviewed in an earlier episode, its secret, its sequel, The Most Marvellous Spelling Bee Mystery, the Max Remy series, and a few other middle grade novels as well, and I think a picture book. Uh, so welcome, Deborah, to Middle Grade Mavens. It's great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Was I right about that picture book? There is a picture book in there, isn't there? There is a picture book in there um, called Wolfie and um, I'm working on another picture book now, which is really fun. Yeah, it's a bit different, isn't it? Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I know a lot of um, middle grade authors um, lament, at, you know, how difficult it is to get a picture book out, even though they've been published in middle grade for a while. So it's uh, kind of like a big win when you do get one. I think they're really tricky things and I think so many people love writing them and I, I, it feels like it's actually more competitive too, the kind of the picture book um, pile of manuscripts out there and, the, and the, there are too many gorgeous ones to choose from, I suspect. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that when you, <laughs> I interview competitions and they might get, you know, 200 picture book entries and only 36 middle grade novel entries. So, <laughs> so if you're starting out writing, don't think that picture books are easy to get done. <laughs> no, no. So our listeners have heard my review of Grimston, which, uh, as you know, I loved. And, yeah, well, first of all, I'd love to know what inspired you to write this book? It was pure crankiness. It was pure old lady getting angry. Um, I just, I can go on about this so much, but just really briefly, um, the issue of climate change just wasn't being taken seriously by governments around the world. And so I just did that writerly what if, and I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if we continue not to take care of the planet um, and something big goes wrong. And I didn't want like apocalyptic end of world bigness. I just wanted something Bigish enough to go wrong to make the world standard attention. So um, I flooded an entire city, added sea monsters, flying machines, and girls who are good with swords. Which was a fantastic way to do it. I mean, you know, you know, I kind of was, you know, that you wrote this quite a while ago now, right? So probably nearly ten years ago, I think. Yes. Yeah. Is it right? Yeah. So it's even more relevant today. And I was sort of reading, it going, "Oh, I hope this just doesn't go too far because I just won't be able to read it." But no, it was great. It was it was fun. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, you, you, sorry. Well, that was the irony of it. Like I wrote this at a time when I think awareness was really becoming quite sort of mainstream. And I thought, you know what? By the time this book comes out, we'll have so sorted climate change. We'll have so dealt with our inactivity. This will be such a, a dated book the second it reaches the shelves. And I think this book can, and, and books like this are more relevant now than ever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually talking to a publisher not long ago. She said that we still want... Um, environmental, um, slightly dystopian books. And I said, oh, I've got one of those. And um, that was the reason that I knew about your book in the first place was because I wrote one. And the other maven, Julie, said, oh, Grimston might be a good comparison book. So, um, yeah, <laughs> mine isn't published yet, but, you know, fingers crossed. You never know. <laughs> So there is so much in your book. It's chock full of details about climate change, alternative energy sources, a mythological beast. Uh, how much research did you do? Because I think it would have taken some time to do. Yeah, it's funny because um, kids often ask, how long does it take you to write a book? And Grimson, I think I probably would have, look, sat on it for at least six months um, just thinking and first of all, and just seeing if it would be a novel and could be a novel. Um, and so kind of, sort of happily uh, researched things and looked up things and just ferreted around. And then when I thought, no, this is actually a novel and I do really want to write this as my next one, um, then I really seriously investigated things like how the Thames barrier in London works because I was going to make them fail. Um, how do you live in a city, a, a flooded city with no electricity um, and no computers, no phones? So I, 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 there is something that is literally called a sneaker wave um, that does hit the city. So I, I did actually quite a, a lot of research. I love science, but I don't have a science brain. So I think that's too why I love putting this kind of stuff in books because I don't actually have to get it right, <laughs> um, mm. scientifically detailed right. But um, I love putting it in there as just a, a point of complete fascination. So, yeah, alongside, I didn't also want it to be a lecture. So alongside this sort of, oh, yeah, look, they're using the power of the waves to create electricity and um, you know, the Thames barrier wasn't good enough because we didn't look after the planet well enough. But I, I wanted it more to be a swashbuckling, you know, sword-wielding, um, you know, sea monster-filled sort of adventure. 
Well, I think I think you really succeeded in that, and I think you know it is a page turner. But you do have these sort of jumping off points for kids to go and and look at afterwards. I was really fascinated with the wave power. I mean, I've heard of it before, but it's it's you know it's an interesting thing that you know you know you don't really hear much about as an alternative energy source. So you know you do have those those things. And and um, I did wonder if you had based Grimsden on London um, to some extent. There was a few things in there. I thought, oh, this sounds like it might be in London. Um, but I like yeah. that it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, but it sort of sounded like it was in Australia as well. Is that right? Oh well, it's 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 certainly not set in anywhere in a way specific. I mean, I have borrowed the Thames barrier, um, which is the flood barrier that sits outside the the city along the River Thames, and um, and I've borrowed from. Um, the Houses of Parliament um, and Big Ben. There's a Big Ben-type clock tower in there. But it is it is kind of meant to be a kind of an every city, you know, like a, a, a just a regular kind of, you know, once successful, once kind of central western city. Um, and, and because I wanted the idea that this could happen. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and we're kind of living in these times now where, you know, things could go wrong because we just didn't act quickly enough. Yeah, and there was there was the big juxtaposition of these children living in this palace and wearing all these beautiful clothes yes. because they can. <laughs> so yeah, moved into this beautiful house that's owned by this architect who was amazing, and um, yeah, so they've got boxes of toys and they've got wardrobes full of clothing, and so yeah, they're kind of having this lovely little sort of dress up time, <laughs> but mm, in this, yeah. in this dystopian world, of course. Yeah, and you see the irony of it. Um, so the third and final book, Final Storm, um, which was released just a few days ago, um, was nine years after the publication of Grimsden. So tell me, was this a planned timeline? Did you in intend the trilogy from the start? Did you plan this sort of gap? No, and I think the timing probably tells you that. Like it's so unusual for a, a publisher to sign up a series that's going to you know, be a three-book series over 10 years, like, that's kind of crazy. It doesn't really happen. Um, after Grimston, I, I kind of left it on a, a cliffhanger in that the kids who've survived in this flooded city for three years, it looks like they have a chance to actually leave. And then that's when I entered the book. And I just I just got bombarded by all these kids, all these angry kids saying, well, do they live Grimston and where do they go and what happens next? You can't end the book like that. And so at first I just said, well, yeah, look, that that is just how it ends. That's you know, I got cranky and I wrote a novel, and that's 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 the end of it. And then after a while, of course, because you know, being authors, you just go, well, I wonder where they do go, and I wonder what does happen next, and is it better or worse? Plus, living in Grimston, they don't know what's happened to the rest of the world. They don't know if the entire world's underwater, if it's just Grimston, um, and also they don't know where their parents are because the floods happen on a school day. So. There were really huge questions that I thought I've left these completely unanswered. <laughs> Very unfair on the reader, and so I, I eventually I thought I I pitched a book to um to Random House and said, "Can I do a second one?" And they, they sort of thought, "Well, that is unusual that there would be such a gap." But yeah, okay. And and pretty much after the second one came out, the same thing happened. These kids were saying, "Well, you know, what happens in the third book?" And and so eventually, uh, last year, I, I went to Random House again and said, "Can I can I just do one more?" And and the main reason I wanted to do Final Storm in the end, the main reason that convinced me to do it was, I think between the second novel, New City, and now, which is only a period of again four years, I think the world has sat up. I think generally people have said, 
actually this is serious and we do believe the science now and we need to do something about it. Uh, there are, you know, Greta Thunberg, the, the young teenager um, in Sweden who sat outside the parliament for a year, inspired all those school strike for climate marches that happened all around the world. I think there are companies and, and organisations and community groups doing really, really clever stuff now. And so I, I, I thought, actually, I do want to write this because I think it's important to be positive. I think it's really important for kids that they know that adults are doing something, which is kind of the point of the, you know, strike for um, climate, the school strikes. And yeah. plus it is actually happening. So I I wanted this to be still, you know, an adventure and I still wanted stuff to go wrong and, you know, bad guys and, you know, but I also wanted hoverboards and robots and <laughs> I wanted, you know, some I wanted some of the clever stuff put into this book that is that is happening by people who are, you know, seriously want to protect our planet. Yeah, wow. And and in doing that, you've brought a whole new generation of children into this into this series and, and got them excited about it and learning about climate change. So, you know, there was nearly 10 years between the books, so that's quite a big amount of time. It's true. And so there are some kids who um, are aware of the books now that weren't born when Grimston was written. Yeah. Well, I can imagine. You know, yeah. and... and have you found that some of your fans who first read the book when they the Grimston book when they were um, children are they now you know they're probably nearly grown up now are they reading the third book are they still excited? <laughs> yeah, they are, and it's really fun because they're adults now, you know. And I just think, oh, that is so cute that they've kept up with these characters and they're interested in well, what does happen in this third book? So yeah, that that always always is humbling and incredible and amazing. Well, uh, you know, and you just you sort of prove that adults can still read children's books and they're still fun and they're still interesting and you know yeah I mean yeah I read them (laughs) I read (laughs) and not just for reviewing um so yeah well I mean I just I started reading them you know when my kids were still too young to be reading middle grade I started to read because I was interested and as research but now I do read them because you know I'm interested I enjoy them um yeah so Grimston is a, I just loved the mix of characters. You've got headstrong, you've got apprehensive, you've got boys, you've got girls. Was this something that you planned from the start or did the characters come to you and evolve as you wrote? Yeah, this was a novel where it, the, the, the the plot and the the stuff of the novel came first, the problem of it, the, the crankiness that, you know, you always have to have some kind of energy that pushes a novel forward, whether it's just you are fascinated by the characters or that period of history or like I did, I got cranky about looking after the planet. So there always has to be, I think, a passion that pushes that story forward or, or you sometimes it is you're just enjoying those characters. But for me the characters almost came last in the planning process and um I knew I wanted a feisty female hero who was good with swords um and I knew she was going to have a best friend because I think almost all of my books except for the picture book there are two best friends girl and boy um Mm. and I knew I needed a foil uh and for my um my male character so I needed someone who was kind of brash and a bit older and lots of muscles and thinks he's good with the ladies and you know so I I knew I wanted this really diverse kind of group of little kids and then I've got three little eight-year-olds who have been left behind in this flooded city as well for various reasons and um the one of the young ones B is is kind of a mini Isabella and um and I love Mm -hmm. It's so nice being able to take characters on a, a longer journey, like longer than just a novel, because in the third book then it'll be literally gets to be 
a kind of Isabella. She needs to stand up and do something incredibly brave. Um, and by the end of it, you just go, oh, here we go. You, you've, you've got your Isabella moment, you know. So, and, and I often write about characters who are, you know, they, they're meek and mild and they face these incredible obstacles and they don't think they can do it, but they do. You know, they end up standing up and they end up facing these their, their fears. And, um, and so it was so much fun to take these characters just that one step further and and see them in this in this final book. Mm, I love the characters. They were just gorgeous. Bee was a gorgeous character. And you could see that she was looking up to Isabella and was, you know, yeah. going to learn from her. So um, when you came to writing, you know, the second and third book then, you had these characters already established with their, you know, their personalities and, and this history behind them. Was it easy to jump back into those characters and have them behave normally for them or did you have to really go back and work at that? You know what? It was so lovely. I mean, of course, I had to sit down and read Grimston and New City first because it's a long time ago since I read them. So just and of course, you write many, many drafts for a book. So I thought I really need to make sure I know what the final draft was, you know, of these books, the one that went to print. Um, And as I was sitting reading them, the characters came to life again and sort of almost impatiently said, "Okay, come on, hurry up, read the book so we can get on with the third book. So it was it was so nice being with them again and thinking, well, they, they, you know, once you've sat, you will know this, once you've sat with a character for a little while, they tell you what they're going to say rather than you sitting down thinking, well, what are they going to say next? Like, and I'm constantly in love with that idea and that process and um, and you have to trust it. You have to trust that if you stay with these characters long enough, they, they will behave. They will act in ways that surprise me and, and make me laugh or make me cry and and so I just was, I just loved having one more chance to be with all these kids that, you know, I've come to know over 10 years. Yeah, that's a long time I mean, <laughs> to have those still there, you know. Yeah, I, I, I just um, actually started a second book in a series, um, yeah, a junior fiction, and I just found that, yeah, there's this main character. She's just writing the story for me. It's so lovely. Oh. I know her, yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, you know, it's, I'm not as experienced as you, but it's nice to kind of get that. Oh, okay, this is this this is what's happening. What they say is true. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so Julie tells me that she heard you say in an interview that your books tend to come out at around a very consistent word count. Is this is this true? Is it still true? And what was that word count? Isn't it funny? Um, so my more substantial novels I guess which is like the Grimsden trilogy and um I wrote an historical fiction called Teresa uh, a new Australian and so my sort of yeah those sorts of books tend to be between sort of 46 and 50,000 words and for some for a couple of years they're like all of my books were at 46 47,000 words and there was no aiming for that they just kind of went there um Final Storm though I think because I knew it was going to be the last book and I I did want to pack so much into it that that's more like 55 that was a little bit that was a little bit more okay well that'll please all the people who've been waiting for that final book and have grown up a bit and <laughs> that little bit more <laughs> Um, so I know you do um, a lot of school visits and book week events and other events. How important is this to you and do you find that it helps your career or do you do it because you like it? Uh, all of the above. Um, I I adore it. I more and more, and I think because you get the confidence of, okay, if things go really pear-shaped, you know, like anything, if you've got experience, you can think, right, I'm going to ditch this thing I'm doing right now and I'm going to do something else. Or, in fact, mid even 
recently I did a school visit and I, I feel the audience out at first. I usually tell them a story or ask them questions and I just get a feel of perhaps where they're at or their interest level. And so I was in a talk just this week where I changed my talk while I was talking because I thought, oh. oh, I think they'll like this better than that. And so these words were coming out of my mouth and I was kind of half listening to them so I was making sense. But in my head I was thinking, right, I'm going to do this next and then I'm going to go to that. And so but early days there is no way I ever would have been able to do that, you know. I mm. d- they make me laugh. I enjoy their humour. I adore their imaginations. I adore that if you give them the tiniest little bit of, um, you know, what about this and, oh, how about if we do that, they come with you and they'll play with you. And I just, you know, I love their energy and enthusiasm and I love that they laugh at my stupid jokes and it's just um, – it's. Just a complete delight. And you also get to meet the librarians in their lives. And um, in some areas of the world, librarians, are, it's sort of fairly endangered species. But they're, you know, a good school has the librarian at the heart of that school because um, they're the keeper of so much that is important to those kids' lives. And without a really strong basis in literacy, it's really tricky to kind of get ahead in anything else. So um, I love the school visits for so many reasons, but also it gives me this just real injection of energy and um, it's just nice too to know that, oh, okay, good, you enjoyed that book. That's good because I stayed in my attic for a year writing it and <laughs> now coming out seeing you laugh at that joke or seeing you concerned for those characters you've only just met because I've only just read you a tiny bit of story, that there's just nothing like that. It, it's just, it's completely energising and it, it, it often after a school day, even though I'm kind of physically often a little bit tired, it's it's really inspirational to hang out with those kids and to play with story for a whole day. Yeah, it sounds like it's so much fun. Are you, are you one of those people who has to come home and then have a week off or does it energise you and you can do, you know, a lot of them? No, I quite like it and I often, well, especially if I'm on, like if I'm interstate, like if I'm away for a week and it's just me in a hotel room, um, I'll often write at nights and I'll often fiddle with ideas and um, I find it, I do, I find it really energising. That's great. Yeah, I think there's a few authors I know who, you know, they do multiple um, visits in a week and I just think, oh, my gosh, I need a year off after that. But um, (laughs) I used to teach little kids um, preschool dance and just (laughs) – one class would exhaust me. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I can do it, but, you know, I don't think I can do a few more weeks. Um, so you have um, quite a few books out now for different ages and in different languages, which is awesome. Um, how do you manage your social media on your website? Do you do all this yourself or do you have someone do it for you? Yeah, that's it's so tricky, isn't it? Because if I wasn't an author... I'm not sure I'd be on social media. So I just over the years have been convinced that that's a silly position, you know, being a kid's author because it's the way you connect with teachers and librarians and your readers and mums and dads and aunts and uncles and grandpas and, you know, people who are interested in kids' books. And so my uh, lovely partner, Todd, um, makes my website, um, makes all the trailers for my uh, books. Um, he, He does all the tech stuff, which is really great. And then I try sort of somewhat half-heartedly to keep up with um I just have Twitter Instagram and Facebook that's they're the three that I have that I find works I've thought about a blog but I think no I kind of use Facebook like a blog um and and that's as much as I need and I've heard people say about social media just do do the ones that you really like for a start um and 
Uh, I did hear um, Alison Tate from um, So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast, say you really should post something every day. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, do I have to really? So I don't mm. do that. I know other people who do, and I just think, good on you. But um, I, I I do as much as I, I think I hope I need to do to stay connected and um, and mostly to the adults because kids will write to me directly on the website. Yeah, well, it's hard to balance. I mean, if you're spending too much time on social media and blogging, you've got less time to write. So, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? And I've, I've dropped off on my blogging because um, I just you just get so many. There's so many of them, you know, pinging all the time. You just don't have time to read them all. And I think that's how other people feel as well. Yes. So, I think, well, that's, I think that's the thing. Why should I start another blog when there are so many great blogs out there that I can kind of comment on or repost or like or whatever, and I just... I think, and there are so, there's like, you know, there are so many brilliant podcasts out there. You know, why would I do another one of those? But um, I love, this is the different thing. So when I started writing novels nearly 20 years ago and now, it, it's so much better though because you can stay connected with your uh, fellow authors and illustrators. You can make connections. You can write to someone whose book you loved and say, I loved your book. I'm just going to completely fangirl here at the moment and say I just adored it. And and you can listen to podcasts. You can comment on them. You know, I just so this is part of the social media that I really love. I think it's such an isolating thing to be a book creator, but I don't feel like that now. I mean, I do have a lot of author illustrator friends, but this way, and I'm constantly telling new newer. Um, authors and illustrators be connected make sure you're listening to things um, make sure you're commenting on things making sure make sure you introduce yourself to people um, because that's how you learn stuff and that's how gorgeous connections are made and and also how you learn stuff this is one of those um, careers that I just in some ways I feel like I'm just starting because there's so much to learn and every new novel is different you know every new novel behaves differently and I I learn different stuff and it has different difficulties it's like the, it's like every novel I write has different personalities and um and if I'm having a tough time I'll often say it and and I'll get all these people saying thank you so much for telling us you're having a tough time I am too and so I just think all, all of that aspect of social media is brilliant for us professionally oh yeah I agree I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now if I hadn't been for some of the Facebook communities, um, you know, courses that I found online or recommendations from other people and, you know, things that, events that are, you know, publicised online but then happen offline. Yeah, I, it's fantastic. Um, oh, there was one question I was just going to ask you about that too, but um, I'll try and remember what it is. But um, <laughs> so what's <laughs> I'm just, I could talk to you forever. It's great. <laughs> but with... When you get started talking to another author or another illustrator or a publisher or editor, you just go, oh, my gosh, we're, we're both going to, you know, both in this world that sort of is brilliant and wonderful but sometimes drives us crazy and and other people, I mean, I can talk to my partner about it and, other, and my friends, but it's not quite the same. They don't get it in a way that creators get it. You know, you've slaved over a novel and so I'm thinking, yeah, you'll understand what it's like, you know, when I when I think, you know, I'm I'm not any good at this or I'm, you know, I'm having a really tough time getting this chapter written or, you know. Yeah. Well, that, and actually that it's just come back to me what I was going to say because um, you can really identify with other authors and, you know, this whole imposter syndrome, it's like, oh, my gosh, almost everybody has that. I never knew that, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, and you can I, – I go to Squibby, the Society of Children Book Writers and Illustrators, um, once every – 
three months it is, you know, and I get to meet up with, you know, very well-established um, yeah. successful authors like Hazel Edwards who I interviewed um, just recently and, you know, and they're so lovely as well to chat to and then they connect with you online and, you know, you see more about what they're doing and it's just it's so beautiful to have this community. It just would not exist without social media, without technology. So yeah. it's lovely. Yeah. Mm. So, um, well, you've, you've said that that was it for the Grimsden series. So what's next for Deborah Abela? You know, um, I, oh, it's funny because I have a couple of um, characters who won't leave me alone and, and, and have been with me for a while and have been patiently, I feel like, standing on the sidelines. And But I've been resistant because it's not my normal age group. It's slightly younger and I don't, again, talking about that imposter syndrome, I'm not, can I do that? Can I write slightly younger? Because I adore writing for 8 to 12. Like I just, it's such an exciting group of kids. Um, but I'm so, what, I'm, what I've given myself permission to do is just play with that, just without any pressure, without any, well, I must get this all done and I must submit the synopsis by, you know, this date or this time. So because I, you know, I'm just really aware too that life is really busy and we're on this kind of, you know, this track to keep producing stuff and doing stuff. And we're, we're creators and we're writers and we're illustrators. And so daydreaming is really important and playing is really important. And and I and I have to just speak for myself, of course. I get so busy sometimes that um, and you're squeezing things in between other jobs and other earning money things and, um, and I forget sometimes that I need to play. And so I've given myself permission in the last little while to just let this little character really come to life and all the other people in her world and, and um, it's kind of fun and I don't know what will happen with it. I don't even know if I'll pitch it in a way and... And I, I did hear another author again the other day say, you know, just write. It doesn't matter if that thing you're writing will ever see any kind of publication day. That's okay too. You know, just keep playing and keep writing and, and keep having fun with it because we're writing for kids, you know. And even my more serious novels like the Grimson Trilogy and and the Teresa historical novel, um, they're still for kids, you know, so they still have to have moments of, I think, humour and warmth and love and, and hope and positivity and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I so I know I'm not really answering your question, but um, I've, I'm going to play with um, my, my young little character. She's come with a fully formed name. She's come with a fully formed personality and she is cute and she's just slightly younger than than I normally write. So I'm just going to see where it goes. Well, playing is good. And that sounds very promising. You've got this character already already there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Well, that's something I do is every now and again I'll get an idea and I'll just write it down. Or, or you know, I've got a, probably dozens of Word yep. documents that have got like a paragraph or maybe 500 words in them that I've just dumped yeah. it and gone, okay, maybe that will come into something later on. Um, yes. And it's one thing I wrote from, uh, I learned from um, Jen Stora is, you do need to play. Jen yes. Stora being, um, for those who don't know, um, she runs the Duck Pond, um, girlanddock.com and the Duck Pond community on Facebook of authors and illustrators. And she has a course called Scribbles Institute, which I joined, I think, a year and a half ago now or, or something like that. Uh, and it's really, it, the, the core of it is play. Yes. You know, that's where, that's how you get ideas. So um, yeah, it, it was it was really freeing to, to 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 join that and to just go okay yes this is what creativity is it's not about perfection it's not about doing anything any certain way and this is how 
you know, you, you become imaginative and this is how you find out, oh, actually I can do this and I can do that. So, And you find the gem sometimes amongst that meandering and even recently on, a, on I think it was Facebook, Lee and Tanner, who I just love, she happened to stumble upon a note in a notebook that she wrote in 1994 that is the book that she's just launched. And, and 1994 is a long time ago and she just kind of stumbled upon it accidentally and went, oh, so I had the idea for this character, you know, that long ago. And so I think that's what happens as well. Sometimes these ideas bury themselves in your head and, you know, they'll pop up. When they're ready, they'll pop up. And then, of course, comes the hard work, of course. I'm not saying it's just this lovely, <laughs> lovely little, you know, thing that just writes itself like your muse popping up. You still need a lot of hard work. But um, I think the play, more and more as I get, you know, older, I just think, yeah, the play is really important. Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine having to go back to something that you had an idea 20 years ago and then turning it into uh-huh. something you Yeah, that would have been hard work. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, you know, that's I've got plenty of things that are just never going to go anywhere. They're just sitting there because I had the idea and I wrote it down and that was it. Yeah. all I needed, you know. And that's fine. That's totally fine, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll be on the lookout for Deborah Baylor's Junior Fiction <laughs> sometime in the future. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> So uh, where can our listeners buy Final Storm and how can we find you on social media? Uh, so there's um, my website, which is deborahabella.com. Um, I'm on Facebook as Deborah Abella Author and Instagram as Deborah Abella. Uh, what was the other one I said? Yeah, Twitter as Deborah Abella as well. Um, and um, a Final Storm's just out in shops now. Yeah, and today is Love Your Bookshop Day. By the time this comes out, it'll be a bit past that. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try and get to a bookshop this afternoon and uh, Me too, support. Yes, I'm about to go out and buy some books from my local lovely bookshop. So, yes, happy bookshop yeah. day. Everybody. Happy bookshop day. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Deborah Vale. It was so lovely to talk to you. You're very welcome. It was really, really lovely to chat. I love listening to your podcast. So it's really, it's kind of nice being sort of on the other side of the fence. It's lovely. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you'll agree the Mavens have been given access to some incredible Australian middle grade books, and the next two are no exception. Coming up, Pamela reviews Grace's Secrets by Louise Park, and Julie reviews How to Make a Movie in 12 Days by Fiona Hardy. Plus, both Louise and Fiona stop by the middle grade Mavens hot seat for an interview. If you'd like to know more about the Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com and to find Julie online, drop by julieangrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.